Hello, I'm David W. Berner, and this is The Writer Shed. In this edition, scary stories, the history and the legacy and the new horror writing. It's a big genre, and one of the best at it is author Sam Weller. For more than a decade, Weller has been linked to the great writer Ray Bradbury. The Bradbury Chronicles, the life of Ray Bradbury, was a national bestseller. He is Bradbury's authorized biographer. Weller is a two-time Bram Stoker winner. His work has appeared in the Paris Review, Slate, on National Public Radio. And his book of stories, Dark Black, it is dark. And it's funny at times, too. And at other times, downright chilling. Sam knows horror, the macabre, and this genre is in a new era, fresher than it's ever been before, I'd say, maybe brought on by new television programs, maybe even new video games. So Sam, welcome, and this book, Dark Black, it's it's killer, man. Well, thanks, Dave. What an honor to, to share some cyberspace with you. I've also long, obviously, been an admirer of all of your work. I mean, I, one of my own sort of ethos, something that's really important to my own creative ethos is to write across and work across genres. And I think mm-hmm. you're one of the, you know, the great examples of, of that sort of creative fearlessness. You do whatever you want. And I've always been just a terrific admirer of that and what you do. So well, you're, you're, you're way too kind, but I, I have to tell you, I, you know, like I said, I'm not the biggest horror reader. Not that I don't like a good, scary story but right. it's it's just not something that's fallen in my wheelhouse but this has been in your wheelhouse for a long long time yeah you know it's an interesting thing to talk about i am not someone who likes anything that's gratuitously violent i don't like slasher kind of horror um i am much more drawn to the realm of edgar Allan poe or hitchcockian psychological sure. fear I, you know, the whole sort of mindset behind this book, uh, this new book, Dark Black, is that you don't need a ghost to be haunted. Mm. We're all haunted by things. And the human, ex- there's enough horror in the human experience, be it illness that we have to endure or, or pandemics um, or, you know, the political landscape. I mean, there's horror in the everyday. And I like that. I like stories that interrogate that aspect of horror, but then occasionally the supernatural may or may not creep in, you know, in the parlance of horror writing and fantasy writing it's called low fantasy. Mm. And I don't like that term because it sounds like it's low brow and that's not the intention of it. Low fantasy is earthbound fantasy where the, the terror or the supernatural could be in the mind of the characters, or it could be uh, very much real. And I'm really interested in exploring those things. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's very Edgar Allan Poe-ish, right? I mean, telltale heart, the whole deal there. Um, yeah. And I, I got a taste of that. I felt like I got a little bit of taste of that poe kind of thinking a little bit when in the very first story in, in Dark Black, in uh, Little Spells, uh, when you talk about the Truman Capote book and the the house that is so become so infamous. Um, yeah. This character, you know, he runs into that sort of telltale heart kind of thing. At least that's what I took from it. Absolutely. So that's a story. Little spells, as you said, is about, a, you know, kind of a classic Stephen King sort of narrative motif of the writer, you know, misery, certainly Stephen King explored that he's explored a number of stories 
where he examines the life of a writer. And that's something obviously I know about myself. So it's kind of an easy place to go to. And I just had this idea. I've long been fascinated <clears throat> by Truman Capote as a writer. And really, like so many people, his sojourn to Western Can Kansas mm -hmm. um, and write the writing of what many consider to be his literary masterpiece, In Cold Blood. In many ways, he invented the true crime novel with that book. Um, and the more I've sort of, sort of researched that book and Capote's um, adventures in adventures isn't even the right word. I mean, his his downward spiral really yeah. in creating yeah. it. Um, the more fascinated I became by it, but then I started to feel a little bit sick about that fascination, thinking that this is just one more person exploiting the horrific deaths of a kind, quiet family in the middle of far Western Kansas who no one would know who they are if not for a night in November in the late 1950s when two strangers entered their house and murdered them very viciously. Mm -hmm. And there's long been this sort of exploitation of that family's tragedy. Capote capitalized on it. Then, of course, there was the 1966 film starring Robert Blake, who has his whole entire uh, tragedy associated with him and his darkness. Then, of course, we have Philip Seymour Hoffman play Capote in one of the uh, films that yeah. tell the story, and he ends up dying tragically. And I just started to see this sort of metafictional aspect of people continuing to be drawn to this American tragedy. And here I was doing it myself. And that's really what the story becomes about. It's about a man who finds that the clutter murder house is available to rent on a vacation rental home site. And he rents it to go finish his latest book um, with, as you said, very, um, Poe-esque results. It becomes a story of a downward spiral, a descent into madness, um, and a descent into grief and remorse. Yeah, and it's, you know, it has that thread that you were talking about, the sort of thing that Truman Capote himself even went through uh, in a lot of ways after the book uh, was out and, and, and even writing it, from what I understand. So, but I think there's a fascination, and maybe I don't really like that word, but there's a maybe, I don't know if that's the right word or not, but we all have this sort of, it's like watching the car crash driving down the street, you know, turning and not being able to turn away from it. Um, is that a little bit of what goes on in this kind of writing? I think so. I think there's, you know, you're getting at something really interesting right now. Obviously there's some sort of Renaissance or golden era that is being attributed to the horror genre right now. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, pe people have been talking about it for the last almost decade with the advent of shows like American Horror Story or Black Mirror, and then the launch of streaming channels that are dedicated, streaming channels like Shudder Television that's just dedicated strictly to the genre. Now in the last two or three years, there's just been this incredible wellspring of writers of color, LGBTQ writers exploring and, and examining the genre for themselves. Um, and so there's there's a lot going on under the surface of of this genre, um, and I think what's what's happening is I think is that it's reflecting the anxieties um, 
that you and I see every day as teachers with the mm. generation of students we're teaching, anxiety is a very real thing for our students. I mean, I've taught for 15 years. I know that you've been a professor for a good many years. And, I, you know, very frankly, I've seen certainly a proliferation of stress and anxiety in the students I'm teaching. Yeah, no and question. Think, no question. I think horror is a genre as it's an outlet for that anxiety. It's a valve. It's a real, a pressure valve that people can, can go. And interestingly enough, find stress somewhere else other than their own day to day. And whether it's the stress of COVID-19 or the stress of ca the capital insurrection, the stress of the last four years of our political landscape and the division in this country, there's a lot of fear and horror addresses uh, fear. Mm -hmm. And it makes us as a result as readers feel less alone in our fears. So I, yeah, I, that's a really good assessment of where we stand with this genre right now. But I'm also, you know, we talk a lot about the television shows, the streaming services, the movies, and certainly, you know, there's some books out there. And I mean, Stephen King is the, you know, the king uh, <laughs> coin of phrase there and in the last, you know, several decades. But the classics are there, too. And I'm wondering if people are taking that sort of want of, Want's not a good word either. I don't know, but uh, sort of like interest in in the horror genre from television and actually going to buy a book and read it. Um, you know, we hear a lot about all these television shows these days. So, is it moving? Is that Renaissance moving as strongly and as vigorously into reading? Wow, that's a fantastic question, and you know, it's something that fascinates me as as an author who's published now for thirty years and. I know it's near and dear to your own heart as an author of so many great works. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think it's moving the needle. I don't know how much, you know, I think there's a, a interesting comparison, if you will, with the world of comic books. Um, all of these cinematic adaptations of the Marvel universe and the DC universe has not caused in my understanding and I've done a graphic novel that won the Bram Stoker Award. Yeah. I mean, it has not caused a seismic shift in sales. You know, the needle has not spiked up dramatically despite the Mandalorian and, uh, you know, all the Marvel movies and the Avengers Infinity Wars and so on. It hasn't crossed over in a huge way to the sales of comic books. So I think there's, there's a similar situation with horror to your point, is all of this interest in horror, in multimedia, influencing the physical book. It's influencing it, certainly in the regard that we are seeing right now, um, all the tropes and all the cliches and the borders just blown down. Writers are examining the genre in new ways as has never been done before. Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I think aesthetically we're seeing uh, a wellspring of, of incredible stuff happening. Is it causing a huge spike in book sales? Horror sales certainly are up um, because there's so much good work out there. But I think this is a larger possible discussion as to the state of the physical book in 2021 society. Um, I mean, I think the good news is, is that we saw sales figures jump quite impressively 
uh, this past year. And I think it's because people have been housebound and quarantined. So I do think, you know, long way around to your question, I do think it is impacting horror book sales, but not necessarily to the mainstream multi-million sales figures that corporate publishing wants to see necessarily. Yeah. 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 That's a whole other, that's a whole other podcast. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But that part of the world, but I I wanted to ask you too, how do the classic, you know, the horror classics fall into this, the Frankensteins, the Dracula exorcist, (laughs) you know, uh, how how do they fall into the um, sort of DNA that we're seeing in the, in the, in the genre now? Oh, you know, that's such a great question. And I think that, um, you know, what's most uh, gratifying to see is that the, the, the pioneers in the genre right now who are doing new things, like people like Sylvia Moreno, uh, Sylvia Garcia Moreno, or, or uh, Stephen Graham Jones, or, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, young, there's new writers doing new things. Um, Alma Katsu, I mean, really great writers, Paul Tremblay, they are all steeped in the tradition and deeply mindful of where the genre um, has come from, deeply reverential for things like you're mentioning Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which is looked at as, you know, the first work of science fiction. Um, It's also a work of horror. So in that regard, it's a hybrid, it's a mashup, it's a genre mashup. Uh, all these writers working today are deeply deeply steeped in things like Bram Stoker's Dracula, the works of Edgar Allan Poe, certainly the work of H.P. Lovecraft, but that has also been looked at in in a new way because, you know, as we're going through this sort of uh, moment in, in our society with George Floyd this past summer, I think all artists are being looked at in a new light. Um, for the way they handle uh, characters of color and their their sort of philosophies on race and racism. And so Lovecraft has certainly fallen into uh, under that microscope uh, and rightfully so. Yeah. I think Um, that's so interesting that, that combination of, of. uh, Yeah. I mean, Flannery O'Connor has now been, you know, uh, is, is facing the reckoning in the same way that JK Rowling is. And I think this is going to happen to music. Yeah. It's going to happen to everything. Um, but, but to your point, I think that so many of the great writers in the horror genre right now are very, very versed in Canon and know where this genre came from. Um, you know, to me, as you mentioned at the top, I mean, I was mentored by Ray Bradbury, whose first book was a work of Midwestern Gothic horror. Yeah. Uh, he becomes known later as a dystopian novelist with Fahrenheit 451 or a science fiction fantasy writer with the Martian Chronicles or, um, you know, he was fearless in working across boundaries. But his first book was a work of Gothic horror that he said was deeply influenced by Poe. I mean, he always called, told me that Edgar Allan Poe was his creative papa. Um, And I think for me, I'm not as influenced by Poe. Obviously I'm influenced by Bradbury, but through Bradbury, I'm influenced by Poe. So I think all the writers really examining the genre in interesting ways right now are deeply versed in canon. Well, I, I wanted to, I'm glad you brought up 
kind of where you are and how you fit into this sort of, uh, you know, the DNA that runs across. Because the last story, I think it's the last story in in uh, Dark Black, you know, it kind of pulls in Bradbury. Um, yeah. You want to talk about that story a little bit? Yeah, it does. I, I think you're talking about a story called Live Forever, which yes. yeah. is almost the last story. The last story is... Uh, the title story about an oceanographer seeking right. seeking Kraken, right. but you're talking about a story called Live Forever, which I you know I wrote that story a decade ago. It's actually been adapted into a graphic novel, and <clears throat> I included it here, but I was a little hesitant because I knew that with my new book there would be these inevitable comparisons to Bradbury, and I'm my own writer. I mean, this voice has rock music in it and punk in it, and mm -hmm. it has Truman Capote in it, and it, it reflects my own interests. It's not a Bradbury book, but as his biographer, I learned more than I can ever articulate from that man about the act of creativity and the approach to narrative and why storytelling is important. So he is just absolutely steeped throughout my DNA as a creative. Um, but, but so I wrote this story in dark black called live forever, um, which is very much uh, it takes the Bradburyan motif. We call this autobiographical fantasy and that sounds oxymoronic. It's something that really happened to you as a writer and then you explore it through the prism of magical realism or the dark fantastic. Mm -hmm. So in this case, Live Forever is basically an autobiographical exploration of a young me going to interview the great Ray Bradbury, which happened. That's how I met him. I wrote a feature story on him for the Chicago Tribune in 2000. So the story begins very much non-fictionally. But what ends up happening is I discover that this, without giving anything too much away, I discover that there's something mysterious about this Bradbury. In fact, yeah. this might not be the real Ray Bradbury. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, great. and so it becomes, it becomes fantasy. Uh, but what was really fun about writing that story is that I realized that I can ape him and his, his, uh, his vernacular and his way of speaking and the rhythm and cadence of his sentences. And there's a passage towards the end of that story where I felt like I, I, wow, I can, after spending 12 years and thousands of hours with that man, I can really channel his ghost and, and feel like he's talking through me, which feels in many ways, like he's still alive. Yeah. I'll bet. Uh, because of that. Yeah. Well, that's uh, the, the title, right? Look for yeah. Yeah. So, yep. So I, 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 I want to wrap this up, but I cannot stop here without mentioning the beauty of this book, the, the artwork of the design. It really stands out as being uh, unique and also all the artwork seems to fit with everything in this book. You got to talk about how that came about. Wow, Dave, I, I'm really uh, grateful for you for bringing that up because that was something that was really important to me from the very onset when I realized I had enough short stories, I was getting close to compile them into a collection. And again, with the, the influence of Ray Bradbury, he had an illustrator uh, in, the, in the 1950s that he worked with um, who illustrated a number of his collections. He tried very uh, steadfastly actually to do a book with the great New Yorker 
cartoonist Charles Adams, actually. Oh, wow. Charles wow. Adams invented the Adams family. And it would have happened. Adams agreed to do it, but the publisher wouldn't pay for it. Uh, $300 in illustration in 1945 was a ton of money. And they said, we won't pay for it. Um, So I I wanted to carry that tradition on with this book um, and have it illustrated. I don't think that illustrations necessarily need to be the province of children's books. Why can't adult literature have photographs or illustrations throughout in a work of fiction? Mm -hmm. Uh, We're certainly becoming more and more a visually learning society. This is what we all do. And so that was really important to me to have it illustrated. There was an illustrator I met at a music festival here in Chicago a few years ago, and his work just spoke to me completely. Um, It had that same sort of desolate, haunted uh, isolation that I was going for with my book, Dark Black. And I went up and introduced myself and he said, oh, I have all your books on Ray Bradbury. They're sort of creative Bibles. So right there, we had this this love connection, if you will. And I, I said, I'm doing this book of short stories. Would you be interested in illustrating them? And he said, count me in completely. So it was an absolute joy to work with him and say, okay, we're going to have one illustration per story. And they're very, they, they're, they're, um, they look like pen, they're, they look like pen and ink drawings, but it's actually scratchboard. You know, they're yeah. scratchboard illustrations. And he was just a joy to work with. His name is Dan Jetza. Um, he's got a website where he sells all of his art. He's done a lot of rock and roll posters for U2 and Sharon Van Etten and a lot of sort of indie artists, jazz artists. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly enough, when I took the book out to shop, everybody was very bristly about a book of illustrations because of the cost again. Yeah. You know, the whole yeah. publishing industry was all, you know, oh, no, we don't want to pay for 20 pages of illustrations. So I was very lucky uh, to align myself with a publisher in LA that's an art book publisher. And their whole their whole philosophy is that books, the physical book should be an art object. We need to get back to that. There's a whole subset of readers in this world who value uh, the quality of a good physical book in their hands. Yeah, and they got I, yeah. that. I love that. I love that. I think that's so unique um, in terms of today's uh, publishing world, you know, it's unique. But when I think about it, uh, you know, and I don't know if I'm right about this, and you can probably correct me, but when I think of some of the published books of the classics, there were illustrations in a lot of those. You know, the original illustrations in some of the original copies, I think there were some uh, far more than there would have been today, I think. Um I, I see that in my head. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but somehow I can remember hanging, holding on to like a book of Frankenstein one time. Right. Seeing illustrations in there. Right. I mean, Dracula, Frankenstein, Moby Dick, there are editions of those books that go way back. Yeah, Moby and Dick. That, like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or, you know, and even uh, we've got the, the illustrations of N.C. Wyeth, the father of Andrew Wyeth, who did Treasure Island and all of those, I mean, beautiful oil paintings. Yeah. And so there is yeah. this tradition, but I think so much of of and I don't know why it's it's gone away. I think it all comes down to cost yeah, and does. bottom line. And I think, you know, I think there's a comparison to the resurgence uh, in vinyl in the music industry and how there's a whole subculture of people, I'm assuming yourself very much included, Dave, um, 
who value liner notes and artwork yeah. and, 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 and we're seeing that, the, that there's a market for this and it may not be a massive market, but it's a sizable market. And I think the same thing holds true in with readership of books, that there are people out there who want a quality book that they're proud of to place on their end table or a coffee table or on their shelf. That is an absolutely perfect analogy there with the vinyl. Uh, I hadn't thought about that, but that's so true. I mean, that's a piece of artwork, the final albums, right? Yeah. 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 Concept uh, of art. And I I love that. And that, you know, there's a lot of that, I think, in your book, that feeling of that. So I think that's wonderful. You have been a delight, Sam. This has been a a treasure. I I know that I pass you in the hall sometimes at our institution, but well, not lately, but, (laughs) but, um, you know, we don't get a chance to talk that much. I'm glad we had this time. Uh, what a what a what a joy! And I can't wait to see you when we emerge, Dave, and and spend some time with you. Great, thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. I appreciate it too. Thanks for everything. Thanks for listening to episode four of the Writer Shed. I'm David W. Burner, and our music is from I Ray Music. All our shows produced inside the Writer Shed. You can find out more about us at writershedpress.com and at the Writer Shed on Medium and at Writer Shed Press on Twitter. And the Writer Shed can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Consider subscribing. We would love it. Thanks for listening.